So good evening, everybody, and welcome to the mind-blowing Kabbalah series, fourth in the series out of five. And this evening, we're going to look at the topic of parallel worlds, the idea that we could and are living in more than one universe at the same time, that there's the world that we see in front of us, and there are other worlds that are existing parallel to ours at the same time, and we are in them. We are existing in those universes and living lives in all of those universes. How so? We're going to explore that this evening, and we're going to explore different ways of traveling between those universes, how to go from one to the other, uh, which is a great idea because sometimes the one we're in, the world we're in, we're not all that happy with. We'd love to change it, but it's hard to change the world. So what if you just change worlds? Just switch, go, go to a different one and see how things are there. Hopefully they're better. And if not, keep moving and, and try the next. This is possible. This we can do. We are living in many worlds at once and we can choose which one we focus on, which one we give our attention and our consciousness to at any one moment. But we're in all of them all the time. How this is true and how it works, we're going to explore through looking at some fascinating Kabbalistic works in the original, as I always like to show you in direct translation of the original, so you can get a flavor of what the great and holy Kabbalists, the mystics of the Jewish people, have said on this topic, the topic of parallel worlds. So let's begin with a classic Kabbalistic source discussing this idea of the of the parallel worlds, four worlds specifically. And this is from Rabbi Chaim Vital. Rabbi Chaim Vital lived in the 1500s. Uh, he was originally from Damascus, I believe, in Syria, but spent uh, his many of his years in Israel. He was the leading student of the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, the great Kabbalist of Tzfas, of northern Israel. And in fact, he was the chief redactor the scribe of the teachings of, of his master, Rabbi Yitzhak Luria. Arizal is known as a great mystic, and we have the writings of Arizal. He wrote none of them. He didn't write anything. Rabbi Chaim Vital wrote most of them, as well as other students. In addition to that, Rabbi Chaim Vital wrote a work of his own called Share Kedusha, Gates of Holiness. And uh, in it, he has many fascinating and very profound ideas. And one of them is where he mentions the idea of the worlds, the specifically four worlds. Let's have a look at the words of Rabbi Chaim Vital. He introduces this section by saying, a section called the worlds, and he says this is a brief explanation of what you need to know to understand the essence of prophecy. This is, this is just what you need to know. If you want to understand what prophecy is, receiving messages from above. So I'm just going to give you the lowdown the basics, the, the, the absolute necessities of what you need to know for prophecy. So indicating that if we, if we read this book, Shari Kedusha, we will get the path to prophecy. I'm not suggesting that we're going to do that this evening. Uh, we're going to look at this work. We'll look, we'll look at Shari Kedusha, the, the gates of, of holiness. I'm not suggesting we're going to reach prophecy, at least not this evening. Uh, I haven't in my lifetime either, and I'm not expecting to. Prophecy is an extremely high level. But this is how Rabbi Chaim Vital introduces the idea of the four worlds. 
a brief explanation of what you need to know to understand the essence of prophecy. What does he say? The supernal emanator who emanated all worlds is called infinite and has no form or, or name or letter. Obviously, he's referring to God, referring to him as the supernal, the upper, the high emanator. He calls an, an emanator who emanated all worlds. So he's the source of all worlds. We're going to see what those worlds are in a minute. But he is called infinite, not finite, not defined. Therefore, has no form, no name, no letter. The, the essence of God, the source of all existence, cannot be described with any shape, with any form, with any symbol, not even with a name, a label, a descriptor, or any letter. That, that is God's self, the emanator, the one that emanated the world, the source of the worlds. Therefore, says Rabbi Chaim Vital, we are forbidden to even attempt to think about him. Don't think about him. <laughs> when you're told not to think, what do you do? You, you can't think about God, meaning you can't attempt to think about God's essence. You can't start to wonder, what is God's self like? Because as soon as you think of anything, any thought you have is something, is a shape, is a limit, is, is finite. You missed it. You've just defined God who's indefinable. You've just made God finite and he's infinite. You've described the indescribable. So no thought can attempt to grasp God's self. And therefore, we're not even allowed to try. Don't, don't try to think of God's self. You know, when you comprehension. in bed at night and you're... Um, you can't sleep, and you start to think about things such as what was before the universe was created? What was, what was there before anything? What, what was around before the universe was created? And, and what would be if the universe ended? What would be left? These thoughts, says Rabbi Vital, you shouldn't enter into because there's no way of thinking of something that, doesn't, that, that is beyond existence. Our thoughts can only grasp something that has a definition, that has contours, a shape. Thinking of something that is beyond existence is forbidden. First of all, it's dangerous. It's not good for your brain. It'll get you nowhere. And if you think you are successful, if you think you grasped God by your thoughts, you've just created an idol. You've just created a, a, a graven image a form of God, which is forbidden and is, and is not truth. So therefore, don't even attempt to think about God's self who is beyond the, the created reality. But whatever that being is about whom we can only say something negative, he's not finite, he's not limited, he has no form, we can only say negative, he's no positive, we can't describe him with words. But what we can say is he emanated four worlds corresponding to the four letters of his name meaning he took on a name. He doesn't have a name, remember, but he took on a name and he emanated four worlds that correspond to the four letters of that name. So this was an, a, a conscious act, a choice that God made at a, cert, at, at, at a certain point of his choosing to create, to, to emanate worlds. Now he, he's used the word emanate, not create, and, and there's a difference, and we'll, and we'll see why soon. The four worlds Rabbi Chaim Vital lists here 
are the world, worlds of Atsilut, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. In descending order from top to bottom, the highest world is the world of Atsilut, literally, which means the world of emanation. Bria, the world of creation. Yitzira, the world of formation. And Asiya, the world of action. These are the four worlds that God created that correspond to the four letters of God's name, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. These translations are pretty much literal translations of the words. Atzilut means emanation. What does to emanate mean? To emanate means to shine forward, to allow to shimmer off yourself. Emanation, to emanate something is not a real action. You're not doing anything. You're just allowing yourself to spread, you're emanating your light. And so the world of emanation is the world that was created, but not by being created as such, just by God emanating his light. The world of creation, creation means there's actually something now. There's a something. It's, it's the next, uh, another world down, which has, has a certain being much more solid than emanation. Formation is even more than creation. Creation is the something. Formation is the something with a certain shape. It's formed. And then Asiya, the world of action, sounds even more uh, concrete, that there's, a, there's an, an active, moving being, a moving reality. From just reading this, we understand that God created four worlds, and the impression we could get is that these four worlds are four different places. That somewhere is the world of Atsilut. Somewhere else, there's the world of Bria. There's another world called Yitzira in another place. And then there's the world of Asiya in a different location entirely. That, that there's these, these four, four different worlds. So our first question would be, well, which one are we in? Uh, which one do we inhabit? Which world are we in? Do we ever visit the other ones? Can we go there? Uh, who is there? Are there people in the other, these other worlds? Are, are there extraterrestrials there? How, how would we get there? Is, is there an option of, of some type of space travel that we can reach these worlds? Have they been discovered? Do they uh, in any way co um, correspond to other planets, other galaxies? Are they other, complete other universes? What are these worlds? What is this world of emanation, creation, formation, action? Where are they? And, and how do they correspond to each other? The Kabbalists are very clear that these worlds are not separate universes in different places. In fact, these worlds are essentially spiritual worlds. Even the world of Asiya, the lowest one, we associate that with our physical world. But even that refers to the spiritual levels of our world as well. These worlds are all simultaneously in existence. They are different layers of reality. It's not that Atsilus is in one place and Bria is somewhere else. It's that Atsilus is one level of reality and Bria is a different level and a different layer. And so is Yitzira and Asiya. 
all of these worlds exist at once, then they're not in the same place because place is a physical description. And except for the world of Asiya, the world of Yetzirah, Bria, and certainly Atzilot do not have physicality. They're not physical worlds. So they don't have a geographic location. They're not in one place. But they are simultaneously and uh, coinciding. And we exist in all of them. Now, the physical world we look at it around us, and when I say physical world, the word world doesn't just mean planet Earth and doesn't just mean our ga galaxy, the entire universe, all of physicality, all of time and space is included in the world of Asiya, the lowest of those worlds. The world of Asiya also has a spiritual element to it, but the physical world is certainly included in the world of Asiya. But at the same time, we who inhabit this physical world, that's only a part of our existence. That's only a part of our reality. That's, that's our, our external superficial consciousness is the physical world. We are inhabiting at the very same time the spiritual realms of Yetzirah, Bria, and Atzilut. Not that when we die and leave this world, we go up to those worlds. Right now, we are inhabiting those worlds. We're living in them as well. To, to understand and appreciate this idea, we need to become a little bit more familiar with these worlds. Uh, the differentiation between them, why there was an, uh, an idea, why did God have this idea of creating these four realities? And then looking at how it works within ourselves, how we have the four worlds within our own self. So the first thing to note is the word world, which we're using here, is the, in Hebrew, olam. The word olam Melech HaOlam, king of the world. We, we use the word in our prayers very often. The word for world is Olam. In Hebrew, the word Olam is very closely related to the word Helem, which means concealment. By definition, when we describe a world, what we're talking about is a conscious concealment of God. A world, if you see a world, then you're not seeing God. You're seeing a world. And if you're not seeing God, that doesn't mean God's not there because God fills all of existence. It just means that God is concealed in that place, hidden. And so the very word world means a concealment. So when we speak about the four worlds, what we're actually speaking about is four different frequencies of concealment that God employed on himself in order to interact with us and, and with the world. That is, what, that is what the word olam actually means. It means helam by definition. Um, when, we, when we look out the window, we, we see the trees and we see the sky. We're not seeing God. We can come to an appreciation of the godliness behind that, but that's not what you immediately see. What you immediately see is a physical world. That's a hiddenness, that's a concealment. And that is a part of creation. In fact, the very definition of creation is God concealing himself. So if we understand world, meaning a level of concealment, the four worlds are therefore four different levels of concealment. Let's explore how they work.
here, we'll look at the four worlds as being four layers of concealment. And in so doing, we'll see that there's a progression from the world of Atsilut, the highest world, down to the world of Asiya, the lowest world. There's a progression of concealment, that the concealment increases the lower you go. So the world of Atsilut is a world of pure divine light. As we said earlier, Atsilut means emanating. God just emanated his light, and that's what the world of Atsilut is. There is nothing in the world of Atsilut but godly divine light. If you or I would be able to perceive Atsilut, what would we perceive? There we would perceive just God, just the divine. The, uh, the ten sfirot that we discussed in last week's class shine in the world of Atsilut, the ten divine emanations. There's just the light of God. And so if you or I would inhabit the world of Atsilut, which we do, by the way, as I said, we are there now, but we're not there consciously necessarily. If our consciousness would be awakened to the world of Atsilut, there would just be God. There wouldn't even be our own apprehension of God, our own noticing God. It would just be God. That's, it. That's the world of Atsilut. The, the Kabbalists asked then, why is that called a world? We just said that a world means a concealment and the world of Atsilut is a, is a revelation, it seems. And so why do we call that a world? Why is the world of Atsilut a world? So in some levels, it's not a world the same as the ones we're about to, to, to speak about, Bria, Yitzir, and Asiya. It's not a concealment to the same extent. However, it is somewhat of a concealment of the divine. Because if you're talking about 10 spirit, a number, if you're talking about any description, even if that description is divine, even if it's coming from God, but a description is already a concealment. And so therefore, even the world of Atsilut is somewhat of a concealment but we, because we're starting to describe God as interacting, as emanating. Already that's somewhat of a concealment of his infinity. However, that concealment is, is nothing compared to the later concealments. Atsilut is revelation of divine, is God's presence. If we then move to the world of Bria, so what we find there is a step down, meaning more concealment and less divine light, not the intense divine light of the world of Atsilut, but a filtered light. The world of Bria is a world in which there is an existence now. It's called Bria, which means creation. Something has been created. There is a sense of, of existence now in the world of Bria. However, that existence is totally nullified to its source. It senses, feels, and is totally dependent on its source. It feels the divine light. Meaning, if you or I would be in the world of Bria consciousness, we would know that we exist, but also know that our existence is completely and totally dependent on God. It's not separate. We're, we're, we're not separate entities. We're totally one with God. We exist but we exist from God. That's the world of, of Bria. So there's just God and his creation in the world of Bria. He's created something. There's something there. There's an existence, but that existence is completely aware of the divine. And so the Kabbalists describe angels that, in, that, that their consciousness is a Bria consciousness. 
which means they, they're, a, they're a being, they're an angel, they're a force, they're an energy in the world. However, they have no sense of autonomy of, of self. They are completely aware that their entire existence is an expression of the divine. There are angels in the world of Atsilut. They don't even know themselves. They don't even know that they exist. They don't even have a, a, a self-consciousness. There's just God there. They are, they are not a separate force. It is just God. In the world of Bria, there's a thing, there's an existence, there's a self, but that self is completely aware of the divine. That is the world of Bria. The concealment then continues further down into the world of Yitzira. God's concealment is, is, is further thickened and the light is therefore dimmed further. In the world of Yitzira, there's an existence that does feel distinct now from its source aware of its source, but distinct from the source. While the world of Bria, the existence said, I don't have any existence separate from God. In the world of Yitzira, it's I do exist. I have a, an autonomy. However, I'm aware that I come from God. I know that God is there. So there's now two entities, much more in the world of Yitzira. In the world of Yitzira, there's just God. In the world of Bria, there's God and his creation, an extension of him. In the world of Yitzira, there's a sense of existence, of being, that is separate from God, but an acute awareness that God is indeed there. And so in the world of Yitzira, there's, there's a sense of shape. The word, word Yitzira means to take form, to the world of formation, that an entity, a, a consciousness, a, a being of the world of Yitzira would have very much an identity a clear and separate identity, aware that that identity comes from a higher source, but an identity nevertheless, a separateness nevertheless, a certain sense of, of uh, autonomy. So in the world of Yitzhira, there's a creation and there's also God. There's an awareness of God, but the creation is starting to take uh, a bit more solidity. But even that is nothing compared to the concealment in the world of Asiya. The world of Asiya is where the existence, the created existence, is unaware of its source. It is that I exist, I know I exist, and I have no sense that I came from anywhere. I am just me, and I'm just here. And I don't feel that I came from any source. I don't feel I'm dependent on any higher being. I, I exist as, an, as a completely autonomous being. In the world of Asiya, Asiya means, means the world of action, where there's, a, there's an active, formed, created being that is like a separate entity. Like, like when you make something, the thing that you made doesn't know that you made it. If you bake a cake, or you paint a painting, or you build a building, it doesn't know that you're there. It's just, I'm here. The building just says, I'm here. It doesn't have a sense of any source. So to the world of Asiya is, is a, a, an act, action. It's a created action that has no sense of its source. That the physical matter totally dominates over the spirit, which is hidden. Of course, in the world of Asiya, you can come to an appreciation that you have a source. You can develop that appreciation. And of course, deep down, you have it because you're never just in the world of Asiya. Even when you're in the world of Asiya, in the physical world that we inhabit, even when you're here, you do have a Yitzira, Bria, and even an Atsilut consciousness hidden deep down inside of you, in your soul. It's there. 
And so therefore we are able to transcend the Asiya world. However, Asiya in and of itself is I am and that's it. I exist and I come from nowhere. I, I made myself, I'm, I'm autonomous. That is absolute concealment of the divine. And so you see a progression here where from Atsilut, where there's just God and nothing else, down to Bria, where there's a creation, but that creation feels completely one with God, to Yitzira, where the creation feels I'm separate, but I know I come from God, down to Asiya, which is where I'm just here and, and, I, and I have no source whatsoever. Now, we can switch in our, in our consciousness. We can reach higher, higher levels. Of course, the Kabbalists who describe these worlds, they describe them firsthand. They weren't just describing worlds that they heard about. They described worlds that they were in and they were conscious of. The, the very holy souls are described as neshamot datzilut, neshama souls of atzilut. All souls come from atzilut. However, some souls stay there. Some souls, that shapes them and they, they maintain an atzilut mentality even down here in this physical world. When we, when we speak about holy people, and to just give you a little bit of an idea of some of these great holy people that we're quoting in these classes, they were existing on that atzilut plane where the divine was the obvious reality. Unlike most of us who live in a world where the world is very obvious, we see a world and we believe in God. They had the other way around. They saw God and they believed there's a world. Of course, there's a world, but that was a secondary reality. That was a, that was a lower reality where God is concealed and allows that to be something else. But in essence, the world of Atsilut is the true world for those holy souls. For the rest of us, we inhabit the lowly Asiya world. That's our default reality. And then on occasion, we feel a bit of a Yitzira sense where I am, but I, I came from somewhere. I exist, but I know that there's a higher being involved in my life. That's, the, that's a Yitzira mentality where I have my life, but God is there in the background looking after me. That's, that's, that's a Yitzira that's higher than Asiya, which is I just exist on my own and, and things just happen on their own and life is just a, a bunch of uh, coincidences. That's an Asiya way of thinking. Yitzira is, no, 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 there's, there's a divine force that is watching over me, that is behind what's, what's going on. But even that's not as high as a Bria mentality, which is, it's not that God is watching over me. Everything that happens is the divine plan. There's, it's not that, that things are happening and then God intervenes. That's Yitzira. It's that everything is the divine plan. There's nothing, there's no move that happens in this universe that is not divine, that is not supposed to be, that is not, not exactly as it is. That's a Bria mentality where everything is nullified to God. Everything that happens is divine. And even that is not as, as high as Atzilut, which is, it's just God. There's not two things in the first place. That, that, that there is only one reality, and that is the divine reality. All of these are happening at the same time because the concealment of God is, is only a perception. God does not allow himself to be perceived on certain levels. So when you're on the lowest level, God is hidden from you. It's not that he's not there. Of course he's there. He is here in this room, just like in the world of Atsilut, because the world of Atsilut is here. It's all here. It's just that if I'm operating on a seer level, then I don't see him at all. 
if I'm operating on a Yetzirah level, because I've refined myself a little bit, I've lifted myself beyond the physicality. So then I see him a bit. I see God's hand behind the scenes. If I, if I lift myself higher, I get to a Brio level where everything is happening because of God. And even higher than that is where there's just God. There's, there's nothing, out, nothing outside of him in the, in the first place. And so we all go through different, different times of, of, I guess, spiritual awakening and in being more or less in tune with the divine. But really, they're all happening at the same time, all the time. It's just where is your headquarters? Where is your consciousness centered? Is it in the Asiya, the, the Yitzira, the Brio, or the Atzilut? It, 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 it's, that sometimes shifts. But they're all actually happening. Our soul lives in all of these worlds all the time. And just sometimes we are more physically inclined. We're more uh, connected or distracted by the physical world. So we don't see God at all. But our soul at the very same time does see God. It's just we're not, we're not in tune with that. So, so this is the way the four worlds uh, interact. This is how, they, how the world was created, the divine reality was concealed on these four levels in order to allow us for that space and here we, we explain why god did it this way from a quote from the altar rabbi roshner zalman author of the tanya who writes about the four worlds and and the reason why god created it this way he uses a metaphor and the metaphor is a metaphor as you'll see like a teacher who wishes to convey wisdom to his student, but the student cannot grasp the information. So the teacher speaks in metaphors, borrowed from the world of the student. The deepest ideas can then be taught in the simplest terms. Even though the metaphor speaks of totally different subjects, the idea nevertheless gets through to the student. So too, the divine light passed from the world of Atsilo down to the lower worlds in a filtered fashion, so the light can be absorbed in Bria, and then in Yitzira, and then in Asiya. What the Alter Rebbe here is saying is that just like the use of a metaphor, what is the use of a metaphor? And he's using a metaphor as the metaphor. What is the use of a metaphor? When a teacher has a very deep concept, very profound idea that's quite abstract, and the teacher wants to communicate this idea to a student who doesn't have the background or the experience or the breadth of, of, of knowledge to be able to understand that idea, if it would be expressed in its naked form, if the idea would be expressed in the terminology of the student, of, of the teacher, sorry, in, in, the, in the pure terminology of the teacher, the student would not have a clue what's going on. However, a good teacher is able to take the deepest idea and to enclose it, dress it in a metaphor, in an illustration, a parable, an, an example that will illustrate the concept, but using terms that the student is familiar with. And once the, the student hears the familiar terms, the idea sneaks in through the metaphor. Now, what is a metaphor? A metaphor is taking a completely foreign concept, using totally different words to describe the subject at hand. So for example, here, we're talking about the world of Atsilut the world of Bria, the world of Yitzira, and the world of Asiya. If, if we would go to somebody who's never heard this before and say that God concealed himself through, through various concealments to 
create the world of Atsilut, then Bria, then Yetzirah, and Asiya. And this is all for his infinite light to be able to reach the finite world. We just used all this terminology, spiritual terminology, infinite, finite, Atsilut, Bria, light. These are all abstract terms. Even though light itself is a metaphor, of course, but it's still not so tangible. And so somebody who's never heard this before says, I don't know what you're talking about. But if we say, well, just like a teacher wants to communicate an idea to a student. Okay, teacher, student, we're all familiar with that. An idea, an idea is abstract, but we're all familiar with what an idea is. So a teacher who is on a higher level of, of wisdom wants to communicate to a student who is not yet on that level. How, do, how does the teacher do it? by giving a metaphor, an example, an illustration. And in that illustration, in that metaphor is contained the wisdom itself. And so the wisdom is able to, to travel from the mind of the teacher to the mind of the student through the means of the metaphor, because I get the metaphor. Ah, so you've given me a physical concrete illustration of the idea. Now I understand the abstract application of it, even though that abstract thing is beyond my understanding but I've captured it through the physical. In a similar way, that itself is the metaphor for, for Atsilut, that God wants to share his light with us, wants to share his, his self with us. But who are we? We are finite beings. He's infinite. And so we cannot experience the divine infinity directly. That would wipe us out. We would be overwhelmed by that much more than a student would be overwhelmed by a teacher speaking on the teacher's level, we would be overwhelmed by God's revealing himself on his level. And so we need a diluted version of that light where the light, it's, the light itself is not compromised, but the light is concealed, is contained in a way that we can handle. And so we have to start at the bottom. The student has to start with a simple ideas at the bottom of the intellectual rung. So to we human beings, we have to start in the physical world and first being aware of our physical world. That's, that's, what, that's our, our primary awareness. We wake up and we see a, a physical world. From that physical world, what we're actually re receiving is divine light. There's nothing but divine light here. This physical world is just divine light, but it's concealed divine light. It is filtered divine light. When, when we receive the blessing of life, of being alive, we're receiving divine light, we're receiving God, but it's filtered, hidden, concealed God. And it's through refining ourselves, building ourselves up, lifting our, our spiritual awareness that we can then extrapolate, well, this world came from somewhere. There, there is something higher, there is something beyond. There, there are too many things that happen in our life that are too coincidental to say that it's all happenstance. The, the, the life is, is too weird to say that it's, it's just by accident. There must be something higher. And then you get to a higher appreciation that, no, there is a divine hand behind it, which is a Yitzira mindset. And then from there, you go further and say, well, it's not just that God is in the coincidences and in the miracles and in the unusual things that happen, but in everything that happens, everything is a part of that divine plan. And then you go from there, extrapolate even higher that in fact, everything is just God. But we can only get there from the bottom. We can work our way up. So God worked his way down by concealing himself in layers and upon layers upon layers until there's this physical world. 
so we can work our way up from this physical world to reach him. Like the student who from the metaphor, which is not the original topic, not the, the, the abstract concepts, but ideas that are familiar to the student. Once the student gets that idea, he can then strip the metaphor and, and strip it down to its core, its spiritual core, and actually reach the, 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 the deeper message, the real idea behind it. This is the idea of the four worlds. This is why God created the world in, in, in such a way so we can climb our way up. The, the way it's put by the Kabbalists is that God created something from nothing so we can take the something and go back to the nothing. We can extrapolate it back. Meaning God could have created the world without four worlds. He could have created it in any way he wanted. But on, from our perspective, we can only climb up if there's a system that we can relate to. And that's what God wants. He wants us to relate to him. So that is, that, that is the four worlds. That's the reason for the four worlds. But I want to take this a step deeper, a step further. And I'm going to share with you a teaching from the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who says a very profound idea. Hold on with me because we're going to go deeper now. He quotes the Zohar. In the Holy Zohar, which we've explored before, from the great second century sage, Rabbi Shimbar Yachai. In fact, in the section that we looked at um, when we were discussing um, To and Tikkun, that in the Zohar, the world of Atsilut is called body, and the world of Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya are called garments. Zohar refers to Atsilut as the body, and Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya as garments, clothing. Why so? So the Rebbe explains. The human body is no more than a garment that the soul wears. However, as long as it's worn, it's one with the soul. Essentially, the body, our physical body, is a garment worn by the soul. Your soul is yourself. Your body is the garment that your soul wears. However, as long as we're wearing our body, our soul becomes one with the body. Your clothing, you can change. Your body, you can't change. Not so simply. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't exchange your body for another body. People try. It doesn't work. You, your body is yours. And as long as your soul is in your body, the soul and body are intertwined very much. They're affected by each other. Your soul is affected by your body. I'll prove it that when you're tired, your soul doesn't function very well. You're not very spiritual when you're tired. Tiredness is a physical uh, aspect of the body. It's a, a limitation of the body. The soul, your spiritual awareness, your, your mental acuteness, your emotional connectedness, all these are affected by the tiredness of your body. So your body and soul are very much intertwined during your lifetime. Even though this, the, the body is just the garment that the soul wears, but that garment is more than clothing. It's, it's extremely intertwined. You, you become one. Your soul and body become one, become united. Interestingly, this is one of the reasons why the Jewish tradition is when, God forbid, a near relative passes away, we tear our clothing. It's an expression of mourning, but on a deeper level, it's also an expression that what we've lost is a body. The physical body has departed, but the soul lives on. The soul lives in this body and then strips the body like stripping from a, a, a garment. And then it goes on to a higher place. 
And so we recognize that the loss is real. When, when God forbid somebody passes away and a, a dear one, we feel it deeply because we are physical beings and our, even our soul is connected to our body very deeply. So we're connected to the person's body. However, we also recognize that the passing is the passing of the body. It's the garment that is ripped. The soul, the person is still very much there and still continues to be connected to us. It's for this reason. So if the body is really the garment that the soul wears, but however, continues the Rebbe, the clothes you wear on your body are truly just garments, completely separate from you. You've got your soul, which is really you. Then you've got your body, which is you. Your body is you. It's intertwined with your soul, but it's only really a garment of the soul. Then you have the garments, the clothes that you wear on your body, which are truly not you. They're truly external. You can, you can switch them at will. So there's you, which is your soul. There's the body, which is the garment of the soul. But then there's the clothes, which are the garment of the body, which are really garments. But then, says the rabbi, on a deeper level, we could say this within ourselves, within our soul itself. On a deeper level, intellect and emotion are the body of your soul. Your soul is beyond them and at the same time bound up in them. So on a deeper, higher level now we're talking about, not the physical body, we're going into our soul itself and its powers. In the powers of the soul, you have your intellect and your emotion. These are powers of your soul. They're the body of your soul. The essence of your soul is even higher than intellect, higher than emotion. But your, your soul encloses itself, expresses itself through intellect and emotion, bound up in them, but beyond them as well. However, but, last paragraph, the powers of thought, speech, and action are garments of the soul that can be exchanged at will. What you're thinking, saying, or doing at any one time, these are actions. These all, thought, speech, and action, all of them are really behaviors. They are garments like clothing that you can take off and switch at any one time. You're not bound by that. Your intellect and emotion is like the body of your soul, just like your physical body you can't change in the middle of your lifetime. So too, your intellect and emotion, that's really your personality. Your personality is very hard to change. But your behavior, which is thought, speech, and action, that's your clothing that you're wearing. And that you can change at any time. And this, the Rebbe says, is what it means that when the Zohar says that atzilut is the body and briyetzirah are the garments, what it means is that atzilut is like the divine personality of intellect and emotion. Briya, yitzira, and asiya are the garments, thought, speech, and action of the divine. Let's examine this closer. Let, let, let's have a look here. Here's a bit of a map to, to, to appreciate what we just said a bit better. You have on the left side your soul. That is the deepest you. You have on the, the, right, the right extreme external reality, the world outside of you. Right. So as you're sitting there, there's you, which is your soul. And then there's the outside world that, that you're viewing outside of you. You interact with it, but there's, there's you and then there's the outside world. In between you and the outside world, there are layers of you that interact with that world outside of you. The, the layers towards the left side of the page are more within you. And the further right you go, the more out of you you go. So there's your what we call personality. 
which is your intellect and emotion. When I say that that's your personality, what we mean by that intellect and emotion here refers to your mentality, your, your way of thinking, the type of, the type of brain you have, the, the, the type of ingrained attitudes and, and, and thought processes that, that is a, a part of your, yourself, your character, the, the way you're described. That, that's what it means by intellect. Emotion here means your moods, the thing that, things that you love and are attracted to, the things that you fear and, and, and detest. The, this is your personality. This is the type of person you are. And a lot of that is quite fixed. In fact, some of it's so fixed that it'll never change. Some of it is a little bit malleable and adjustable, but it's very hard to change. But it's very hard to change your ingrained mentality. Some of it is ingrained from birth or from before. Some of it's genetic. Some of it is learned, but so learned that it's, it's become ingrained. And so that changes over a lifetime, but not, not hugely. You develop, you grow, you mature, of course, but... A lot, of that, a lot of that is quite fixed and doesn't change quickly. It, it, it's a real project to change uh, an, uh, an, an entire mentality that you have or, or the things that you love and you don't, and you don't love. That, that's extremely hard to change. That's much more you. It's not your soul, but it's a, fact, a factor of your soul. It's an expression of your soul, much more you. However, when you go to the other side of the line, when you get to thought, speech, and action, that's talking about behavior. It's not you. It's what you're doing at a certain time. A thought is what's on your mind right now. Your intellect is your mentality. Your thought is what is being displayed on your brain right at this moment. That is a behavior. Because whatever you're thinking now, you could think about something else. You could be distracted from this thought and, and think something else. You can decide to forget this thought and move on to, to something else. That is your choice. You actually have control over that. You don't have so much control over your mentality. You can't so much control what you can or can't understand. You can try to understand something, but maybe you don't. What you can control is what you're thinking about at any one moment. That is in, in, within your control. Thought is close to your soul, but it's not your soul. It's a garment that your soul is wearing. What you're thinking right now is a garment that you put on and you can put on a different garment. Speech is a step more removed from that because speech is speaking, talking. That is externalizing a thought. Your thoughts are just for you and nobody else can read them. Thank God. We're all glad that nobody can read our thoughts. Uh, we wouldn't want that. But speech, people hear. What you say, you've expressed, you've shared it, it's out there. In fact, speech is really an expression of thought, but it's an externalized thought. You think also in words. When you're thinking, you're thinking in words. You have words in your mind. Those words can then be externalized and spoken and shared with somebody else. So that's a step outside of you. You're taking a step further out. You're concealing yourself by speaking in a way because you're not saying everything you're thinking. And again, thank God, we don't say everything we think, even though it seems some people might, but no one really does. It's not really possible to say everything you think. Uh, we can only express a certain amount. And whatever we're saying, there's much more that we're concealing. 
That is, that is the world, world of speech. More external, we're sharing it with somebody else, but only a limited part of ourselves. Then there's action, actually doing things. And doing is even more external. You're impacting the outside world. You're leaving a mark and an imprint that you can walk away from. Uh, giving an example uh, of an action, an action, writing down something is an action. Writing words is an action. So just like you think words, you speak words, you could write words, which is an action of words. What's the difference between the, the words that you think, the words that you speak, and the words that you write? So the thinking words are completely yours. They're inside your mind and they're nobody else's. The spoken word is shared, is externalized, so somebody else can hear your words, but you have somewhat control of those words, meaning you're saying them, and only as long as you say it, it's out there. Once you've said it, it's not there anymore. It's been said, but no one can point to it. No one can, no one can say, there's the word. Only as you're speaking is the word being shared. If you write down something, if you record something, so then that action has made an imprint that you may walk away and the, the imprint is still there. In that way, recording words is also an action. But when things are recorded, there's an imprint of it. So there's an action. You've impacted the physical world. And so therefore, the action is much more external to you. You can think many more words than you can say. And you can say many more words than you can write. Because the closer you go to your soul, the more of your soul and energy is there. And so thought, which is close to your soul, the closest of the, of the three garments of the soul, that is constant. You're always thinking. It's not possible to not think. Your, your mind is always thinking. Speaking, you're not always speaking. Again, some people seem like they are. But there's, there's, there's a time when, when you stop talking. There's a, there's a pause at least. You don't pause thinking, but you, but you pause speaking. And action is even less than speech. It's much easier to speak all day than to write all day or to, or to, to make all day. So the further away you get from your soul, the less of you is being expressed and the more external it is. So again, going from left to right, there's your soul, which is your absolute self. There's your personality, which is your internal self. No one sees your personality. We can only see from your behavior what your personality is. Only, I can't see your thoughts even, but I can see what you, what you say, I can hear. What you do, I can see. And from that, I can extrapolate your personality. What type of intellect you have, what type of attitude and mindset you have, what your emotions are, what you like and what you don't like. I can only know that through what you express through your behavior, through your speech and action. And even your thought, I can't, I, I, even that I can't know. So when the Rebbe said earlier that the personality level what was called the body of the soul, as opposed to the garments of the soul, is the world of Atsilut. That in the world of Atsilut, there's just God. There's just God and him, himself, and that's it. But then there's the three worlds of Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya, which correspond to thought, speech, and action. Thought, like the world of Bria, is intimately connected to its source. Speech is already something somewhat external, but it's connected to someone speaking. Action is so external that you can have a written word and the person who wrote it is gone. There's no sign of, of, the, of the, the author. They're, they're completely outside of him. And so to the world of Asiya, 
is the world where God is not recognized. There's just the world. The world of Yetzirah is where there's a, a, an existence, but there's a sense of a source. The, and the world of Bria is where you, you know everything's coming from God, like a thought is coming from its source. The world of Atzilut, there's just God, there's nothing else. If we apply this to ourselves, if we, if we think about ourselves as having these worlds, by calling them worlds and universes, separate entities, separate realities, it, it gives us a, a whole different way of thinking about ourselves, that there's your, your you, your personality, and that's one world. There's a world that's going on inside of you. And then there's a world that's being displayed to you in thought and to others through speech and through action. Each one of these is a world in and of itself. And just like we can traverse the different worlds of Atsilud, Bri, Yitzira, Nasiya, and be centered in one or another at any one time, so too in our life, we spend different times being centered on any one of these worlds. And each one can be, in a way, a, a diversion from the other. For example, if in the world of thought, if you have a lot of thoughts that are disturbing, bothering you, if there, if there are things on your mind that, that are scaring you, that are overwhelming you, and you're, you're completely lost in those thoughts, being dragged down and bogged down in, in those thoughts, you might need to travel to the world of speech. You may need to leave the world of thought and go into the world of speech and talk to somebody. What happens by talking to somebody? When you're in the world of thought, you think, how could talking help? It's only going to make it worse. If I, if, I, if I speak about these things, if I share them, it's only going to make it worse. I'm going to make it more real. Or people will laugh at me or, or think I'm, I'm nuts. That all may be true. However, by entering the world of speech, you're in a different world with, with different rules, with a, a different, different uh, uh, status and, and a, a, a different existence. And so suddenly when you enter the world of speech, things can be different. First of all, when you verbalize things that you're scared of and worried about, sometimes they disappear already. As soon as you speak about it, you realize how silly it was or how overreacting I was, or I, I built that up. It, it, when I hear the words, it's not the same anymore. And it, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. So by, by speaking it out, I actually free myself from the thoughts that were, were disturbing me. Or it could be that by speaking about, about an issue that's bothering you with somebody who cares and who has some insight, through that speech, through that sharing, they can rebound, they can offer you advice, they can offer you a perspective, a different way of looking at it that will solve the issue or at least give you a, a, a better attitude to it. So in the world of speech, the, the issues in thought may, may be solved. On the other hand, you may be in the world of speech, but you need to go back into the world of thought sometimes. Sometimes we talk too much. Sometimes we, we, we say things that we shouldn't have said. We should have thought before saying that. You can get lost in the world of speech sometimes. You can get lost in your own voice, enjoying your own voice. It, sometimes just the expression of things itself like, has a life of its own. The talking has a life of its own where you said something, you ended up saying something else that you didn't really mean or you shouldn't really said. 
but you were just enjoying the, the limelight or the expression or the, the, the ability to, to speak. And you had to go into thought before you said that. You had to go into the world of thought and, and consider what you were saying. So the world of speech has its own laws and the world of thought has its own laws. And sometimes you need to go from one to the other or, or, or the other. So too the world of action. Sometimes thought and speech are not the solution. Sometimes action is what needs to be done. You're deliberating so much. You're thinking so much. You're talking so much. Just do something already. Just get up and do it. Get and make a move. That you can have plans from today, today to tomorrow. You can have all these ideas and ambitions. And until you do something, it's not real. It's just talk. It's just dreams. Take a, a concrete step of action. And when you act on something, you've brought it into the real world. It's actually in the universe now, in the physical universe. And that has a totally different de definition now. Your thoughts and your, and your words, that, that is a world of theory. But the world of action is concrete and real in this physical world. And by moving into the world of action, you can start a, 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 the ball rolling. That you, you can actually start movement. You can feel a sense of achievement, of accomplishment, but only when you've actually done something, when you've moved into a world of action. And so these worlds have to be seen as worlds, has to be seen as, as different arenas of reality. It's, we're in all of them at, at the one time, but we have to experience all of them. And we have to sometimes move from one to the other, not, not get stuck in any one of them, but allow ourselves to move from one to the other because each one leads to another and fulfills the other. And the, the same applies even with the world of Atsilut within us, our personality, that if we're too uh, stuck in our personality, in who we are, without looking at our behavior, so we can sometimes miss what life is all about. You may be a very nice person, a very sensitive person, a very kind person. These, these are the features of your personality. That's wonderful. But if that's not expressed in behavior, if you can't bring that down into behavior, then who gains from that? Who gains from your kindness if you don't say kind words and act kindly? If, it does, if it's not expressed down here, so then the kindness in your heart, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't go anywhere. So you have many gifts in your soul, many beautiful features, but those features can only impact the world if they're drawn down from one world to the other to the other. They're just like God created a physical universe because he wanted to express himself. He wanted to find himself in this world, a world that is otherwise not welcome to spirituality, that should become a spiritual world. So to your soul has a very deep desire to be expressed down here in, your, in the actual world, the world around you, to impact the world around you. And that can only happen through refining behavior, through bringing your personality down into thought, speech, and action. That's why our sages taught, particularly the mystical sages, that what's much more important is behavior, even more important than personality. It's more important that you do the right thing than you feel like doing the right thing. In fact, if you did the right thing, not feeling like it, great. That's fine. That's fantastic because you did the right thing. If you felt like doing the right thing, but you didn't do it, nobody's gained anything. If you didn't feel like it, but you did good, that's wonderful. The world has been impacted positively. And from 
finding the, the good and bringing out good in the physical world, we transform the concealment of the world of Asiya. That the world of Asiya, remember, is the world where God is completely concealed. There's just a world and it just is. But every time we do an action of goodness in this physical world, we show that this world is not just this bare, stark, soulless place. It is actually a spiritual place. The world of Asiya is not disconnected from Yitzira, Bria, and even Atzilut. They're all one continuum. And it's in the world of Asiya, the physical world, which is the last, lowest world, that is where the divine focus is. And that, and that is where, where our arena of achievement is. Because we can not just escape the world of Asiya, but transform the world of Asiya into a, into a holy place. And we do this by fusing the worlds together, by saying that the world of Asiya and the world of Atzilut are two extremities of, of one continuum. And we are inhabiting all of them right now. And by living an Atzilut life in the Asiya world, we, we transform this reality to be one of holiness, of goodness, of purity, and the creation, the created concealment is reversed, where we revealed God's light in the lowly world down here. Okay. I'm going to have a look at the chat to answer any questions. Everyone is welcome to uh, put questions there. Um, and, uh, and I'll deal with them now. So, uh, Rebbe Moss. Yeah. Hi, hi, hi Sabina. Sure. The last sentence, I just, I just, I didn't hear you well. You said by living that silut life in the Yatira life. By living atzilut with, with atzilut consciousness in the Asiya world, mm -hmm. so we bring the divine light into what was the concealed world. We transform the concealed world, and that's and that's our that's our mission. Mm -hmm. And a question: Do you have this? I know you have this recorded, but I missed the last um, uh, class. Can, can you send it to me via sure. email? Yep, yep. They're, they're all, they're all, and, no okay. and also another question before other people jump in. You know, well, you know, I'm Israeli, so for me it goes to Hebrew as well. Sometimes when you, I write in Hebrew, so you know, at the beginning of um, you know the um, Yud Hey Vav Hey. Yes. But Atzilut in Hebrew is Atzilut with Ein, and Bria. No, Aleph. Atzilut with Aleph. Atzilut is with Aleph. But Atzilut. Uh, sorry, but but why uh, Yud Hey Vav Hey? When when um, Atzilut, Bria, Yetira, and Asiya is different letters. I know it's like maybe probably a silly question, but I'm actually curious. No, it's not a silly question, um, but it's probably worthy of, an, of a whole class. Um, that the four letters of God's name also represent the four layers of creation. That that God's name doesn't have four letters just because it's four it's four letters because the the name that God took on is that is expressing Him on the four different levels. And so uh, really, yeah, we, we we could spend a long time on that, but uh, it, it does um it, it does represent the four worlds as well okay right. some of the questions here on the chat does god travel through these worlds or, or consciousnesses did he have to travel from his his all godliness to a seer to create the world so we can't use the word travel really because travel is a, a, a spatial concept that god is in one place and then in another of course god fills all of existence and and like we said in the tinsum class the first class of the series that that god filling all the existence that's always god always is filling all of existence and so he is in all of those worlds, and he is all those worlds, and he is all there is all the, all the time. Um, so it's not like you can find God more in the world of Atsilut than you can in the world of Asiya. No, not at all. You can find him in the world of Asiya just as much in the world of Atsilut, just that takes effort 
The world of, of Asiya takes effort to find him, whereas the world of Atzilut, it doesn't take effort. And it's the effort that God appreciates. Right, right, but you said Atzilut in all the worlds at once. Can't, when you need to put more effort. Atzilut is the one thing that you can't really, is the personality, you can't really change. It's the hardest. Correct. But I'm, ta I'm talking about, about being connected to God. If you're in the world of Atzilut, if that's where your consciousness is, so then there's just God. There's, no, there's nothing else. Uh, that there, 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 that that connection with God is is what it is. The human beings levels, yeah, they, they need work. Uh, you mean on different levels? Okay, I get. What I don't know. Now, um, another question here: Does God control what level we can see? What can we do to achieve high levels of awareness and humble ourselves more? Okay, so does God control what level we can see? God, to extent, of course, creates us with a certain, I guess, spiritual ability. Each person is, is created with certain spiritual abilities. He also puts us in certain circumstances. Some people uh, have a, a, a higher, um, I guess, spiritual awareness, um, more of an education of these ideas. And so therefore they're in a situation where their spiritual level is, has an advantage. Others are disadvantaged, that they may be spiritually less in tune. They may have had less exposure to these ideas. But that doesn't mean that that's where they have to stay. Each person is given the, the challenge that is suiting, suiting for them. So therefore, somebody who's born with a more concealment of their soul probably has a more energized soul that can overcome that concealment, and that's their job. So if you, if you were, let's say, your situation now is a bit of an ASEA situation, let's call it, meaning I myself am a bit of an ASEA person, very physical, very materialistic, very like the world just captures me and that's been my education and i'm living in a place that is very materialistic and, and all of that surround so everything is stacked towards the asia mentality of this is the world and there's nothing else if that's where i am it must mean that i have an extremely powerful soul because i was put in that circumstance to see beyond it to overcome it and, and to find the divine light in that in that place whereas somebody else who has a less energized soul than me would not be put in that situation that'd be put into a spiritually easy situation and and so therefore god does control where we're put what he leaves to us is our reaction to that place and how we turn it around that makes sense the further you are from something you know like uh, the more you like uh, probably more inclined and 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 does it make sense what i'm trying correct. to say correct yeah. correct and so um, how do we work ourselves up? Um, do we start at the bottom of awareness at each reincarnation? No, we don't all start at the bottom. Some people start at different places. How do you work your way up? You, you refine yourself. You work through uh, your particular challenges. You find the divine uh, hand in your place. And, and we do that by studying these ideas. You know, the, the discussion we're having now, just talking about it. Speech, remember, we, we're in the world of speech now. Talking about th this idea makes it into a certain reality in the speech level. Thinking about it will we'll take it to a, a deeper level as well. And then acting, living in such a way, living in a way that I'm only in this world to reveal God in this world. That's, that's what I'm here. So I go to work. I, of course, I have to go to work. Or you know, these days, you don't go to work. You just log on to work, whatever you do. But you have to do these things. But what's the point of it? The point of it is to bring more godness, God, God, godliness and goodness into the world. That's, what I'm, that's, that's the real point of it. When I see that and I use every opportunity to do that, so then I'm refining myself and the world and fulfilling my, my purpose. Question here, could a seer be considered more holy because it is closer to tohu, a higher light? So 
Yes, certainly. Certainly, in, in a way, Asiya is the holiest place, and we're lucky to be here. And, and, and that is because the idea that Asiya is a world where it doesn't feel its source, it doesn't feel that it's godly source, that itself is a reflection of how high Asiya is. Because Asiya comes from a place in God that God doesn't come from anywhere. God doesn't have a source. And the world of Asiya reflects that. The, the, the fact that physicality yeah, because it's the hardest of itself, thing to do. that, I, that I'm here and it doesn't feel do. a source, that is, is a reflection of God who has no source. And so yeah. therefore, yes, the world of Asiya actually is the holiest place to be. The and this is where we can feel it? the essence of God. But you have to not fall for the externality of the world of Asiya. You, you can't fall for the externalities of, of, of the physical world because then you're just seeing the concealment. But if you discover the essence, then it's, it's the highest place. Another, word, another fascinating question here. Um, are the four worlds structural in a similar way to the tree of the Sfirot? I.e., do they exist in the microcosm as well as everything in between the macrocosm? Yes. Yes, they do. The structure of the Sfirot and the structure of the, of the world does correspond. Uh, one way it's put in the Kabbalistic writings is that the world of Atzilut is Chachma, the world of Bria is Bina, uh, the world of Yitzira is Tiferet, and the world of Asiya is Malchut. And, uh, and that's, that, that's how they sort of uh, they correspond. And within each world, there are four, four worlds. Um, there is Atzilut in Atzilut, there's Bria in Atzilut, uh, as well as a, a macro system where all of these worlds are just a part of Asiya, and even higher than that. So all, all worlds, even Atzilut is a part of Asiya, and even higher than that, there's a Yitzira and a Bria and, and, and uh, Atzilut even beyond. So yeah, it does, it does work in the macro and the micro. Is what we call enlightenment or an enlightened person, someone permanently abiding in Atzilut? Well, yeah, that's, that's probably what we mean by that. Um, that um, having, um, having enlightenment, obviously the word can, can mean many things and, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's used in many different contexts. But, but from a Kabbalistic context, uh, a person who's enlightened means a person who sees the light of God and, and that's all there is. And so that's, that's an atzilut consciousness where God is obvious. The world, the existence of the world, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's novel. N not, not, that you need, you, you, not that you need to believe in God, but God is the reality. God is, God, God is the, the world. That, that's a surprise that there's a world, that there's actually a physical world, which there is. There is a world. But yeah, you, you need faith for that when you're on the world of atzilut. You need, you need faith that there's actually a world um, because... There's only God. And, and marrying the two and seeing the, the world as being not a contradiction to God, uh, but, but the expression of God, that, that is, our, is our real mission, to try and draw that down. Okay. 